Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. A number of years ago, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was reading, I, I was actually, I, I pastored in a mountain community called Weaverville. And uh, my family and I were there for 17 years. And I remember I, I was sitting in the office one day and I was reading and I, I read that verse out of uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. I was reading through Revelation, but that one verse just seemed to grab me. And that passage is, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I, you know when you feel life on a word, but you're clueless as to what he's saying? That's where your heart is learning before your head does. And, and uh, revere those moments, because he just deposited something in you that can change you from the inside out. And so these, this, this moment I had in reading, it just highlighted, and I felt so strong about it, I stopped my reading. I actually said, I said, God, teach me what that's about. Teach me, teach me what that means, because I could feel life on it. Do you remember when, uh, when Jesus preached his most famous sermon uh, where the crowd left in disgust, where he said, you have to drink my blood, you have to eat my flesh? Uh, that's, that podcast didn't go far. Nobody... <laughs> Nobody bought the CD and sent that to friends. Uh, that, that one didn't go over well. If you can imagine a crowd of 20,000 people that as people are grumbling over the sermon, they, uh, they slowly leave until Jesus is left with 12 guys. That's church growth at its finest right there. That's, uh, that, that, that course is never taught in church growth the, the seminars. But it, in, this, in this amazing moment, Jesus is teaching about, uh, about the crucifixion, about the, his, his broken body, his blood, and he's, he's teaching them through this, this course. And every time they got offended, he just turned it up a notch. He just didn't seem to be that concerned about people's offense. And, uh, you know, he would say, you have to eat my flesh. And they'd go, ah, that's gross. And he says, all right, you have to drink my blood, too. It was, it was, just, like, it was just like he said, well, let's up this thing, you know. And, and um, so the people were, they, they left and the disciples are left. Jesus turns to them, says, you guys are going to leave too? And Peter uh, responded and he, he got it so right again. He said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Now think, think about what he just said. I'm going to use my words now. Jesus, we don't understand that sermon any more than the crowd that left. But what we do know is that whenever you talk, we come alive inside. We didn't understand that flesh blood thing. You know, we think you could have done a better job of explaining that, you know, the little Old Testament stuff, you know, what it helped us here. But, but he said, the, your words bring life to us. We find out why we're alive whenever you talk. And that's what happens sometimes. So as I'm reading Revelation in that particular verse, just just was highlighted to me. I stopped and I said, God, I want you to teach me what this means. I've got to know what this means. <clears throat> Later that day, uh, uh, one of the members of the church just stopped by the office and, and uh, he was standing in the, in the doorway. He, was a, he owned a business and he was in a hurry to go somewhere. And so he stopped and he just stands in there and he, and he tells me the miracle of his healed marriage. And uh, he just, he, what the Lord has been doing in his, in his life, in his home, in just recent days. And so he's taking me through his story. He's giving me his testimony. 
And he stands there in the doorway, and I said, man, that's so amazing, Bill. His name is Bill. And he turned to leave, and then he stopped. And he came back, and he said, you have permission to share this with anyone you want. Now, I knew in that moment that that was an answer to what I prayed, but I didn't understand it yet. I don't know if that makes sense to you. I knew, I knew this was a divine setup, but I needed, it's, it's kind of like Moses with a burning bush. When he turned aside, God spoke. Sometimes the Lord will put moments in your life where you just have to turn aside. If you don't turn aside, you keep on going, you'll never know what was there. But in, in the pause, in the rest, in the question, in the, what are you saying? What are you doing? So in, in that moment, I had a little burning bush and I, I turned aside and then he began to teach me. I want to talk to you just briefly about this, this concept here tonight. First of all, the testimony of Jesus is what? It's, it's, it's the spirit of prophecy. Thank you. you. You answered according to the Bible. All right. Now, a testimony is a spoken or written record of anything God has done. And he says that testimony is the spirit or anointing of prophecy. What does prophecy do? Prophecy basically either foretells the future or brings a change to the present. Some prophetic words describe something that's going to happen. Other prophetic words actually change the moment that we're in. And there's an instant change because something was said. So if you think about this concept, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's basically saying, at least in part, saying that whenever a testimony is spoken, there is a prophetic decree that makes possible an immediate change in the present. Okay, that's a nice philosophy. It's a nice theory, so we began to experiment. And it was actually a number of years later, I... I, I took it to another level. And so I was, I was, in, a, I was in a meeting in Minnesota. And um, I, I prayed for this uh, a pastor's wife who had broken her leg or ankle in a snowmobile accident. And uh, she had pins and, uh, you know, screws, all this stuff in her ankle. And so I prayed for, for a while that evening. It was, a, it was a pretty small crowd, to be honest. It was maybe 50 people, 100 people at the most. It was a... Uh, a wonderful group of believers, but a small crowd. And, and I spent a good amount of time praying for her at the end of the evening. And, and she had a little bit of uh, relief of pain, but nothing, uh, nothing major. And so she, she went home that night. Her and her husband went home. They came back the next morning. And it was several days of meetings, morning and night. And she came up to me that morning and she said, she said, Bill, she said, I was, when I was getting dressed this morning, my husband looked down at my leg and said, hey, that wasn't there before. And she looks down and she had been missing part of her calf muscle and it grew back overnight. Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. So I, uh, I said, well, come here. I said, you need to tell everybody. So we bring her up front, you know, for the morning meeting, we probably had 25 people or so there. And so she shares the testimony. And, and we're, you know, happy and celebrating. And she goes back to her seat. And as she's going back, a lady on the front row right here comes beelines right towards me. And she says, if God did that for her, certainly he would do that for me. She understood something. She understood Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number one. Number two, he's no respecter of persons. 
If you get those two things, you realize you're always ready for a divine moment. Because we sometimes disqualify ourselves by wrong thinking. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say that with me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And number two is he is no respecter of persons. Say that with me. He is no respecter of persons. And so she, she came up and, uh, and she told me that. She said, I was in an accident a number of years ago. She said, I am missing part of my calf muscle. I had to relearn how to walk after this horrible, horrible accident that she described to me. So I called to the pastor's wife, uh, associate pastor's wife that was walking back to her seat. I said, hey, come on back up here. We need to pray for her. And so we, uh, the pastor's wife came and somebody else came. So it was like three or four people praying. And as they're praying, they watch this muscle form in her leg. It actually grew visibly in front of their eyes. Right at that moment, this is, it was almost like a, a, an epidemic of missing calf muscles in Minnesota. It was like, it was like every, everyone in that city was in that meeting of 25 people, you know. And uh, another lady comes up and then another. There were four people. One was kicked by a horse and it destroyed the muscle. There was actually a growth in its place, a little tumor. And, uh, and they prayed, they watched that disappear and the muscle form. And then the fourth one, I don't, I don't remember what it was. But all four of them were healed in this moment. How did it happen? It was initiated by a testimony. After the first breakthrough, the story was given. So the first day that we talked together, I, uh, Sunday morning, if you were here, I talked to you about how, how miracles are supposed to shape us how to see. Well, the stories of miracles are actually part of our, our, our storehouse, our treasure, our treasure house. Um, miracles are, well, here's a verse for you. Psalms, oh goodness, 111. It's, it's in the Bible. It's in the Psalms. <laughs> I, think, I think it's Psalms 119, 111. Maybe that's it. I think that's it. Uh, there's not 111 verses in any other chapter, so let's go for that one. Um, and it's a verse that says, uh, his testimony is our inheritance forever. Now think about it. His testimony, what does that mean? Anything he's ever done for anyone belongs to me personally. How did they overcome the enemy? By the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of their testimony. My testimony is not just what I've experienced. It's what I've inherited. <laughs> you missed that one. My... How did they overcome the enemy? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, the testimony has to be spoken. It has to be declared. Sometimes you may be driving in your car and facing doubt and difficult things, and you just speak out loud. Some things just have to be said. You speak out loud. You say, well, I've seen Jesus do this. He's no respecter of persons. So here's this 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 series of calf muscle stories. And I, I, uh, I flew from there to Tennessee. And I was with a pastor friend there at his church. And, and I shared the stories. I was so excited to, to see finally uh, the application of this concept that he spoke to me so many years ago out of Revelation 19.10. I later discovered in, in study that there's a word in the Old Testament for testimony that actually comes from a word that means to do again. Are you hearing me? That the nature of the word Old and New Testament is when something is spoken, it's revealing God's intent to duplicate the miracle. 
You want to see a change of an atmosphere in a restaurant? Take three or four people and do nothing but share testimonies. And I'm not talking about catching the attention of people. I'm talking about catching the attention of heaven. The angelic realm is fascinated by your view of Jesus. They don't know what you know because you see from a redeemed position. So I went to Tennessee and I shared those, those four stories. I'm so excited, you know, what I'd just seen. And, uh, and we had ministry time and a, a medical doctor came up. He had broken his leg a year earlier and uh, he had restricted movement. Uh, the muscles had atrophied, so they, they shrunk in size. They, they weren't fully developed anymore. And, uh, and he was uh, dealing with uh, pain and, and all of that. So some of our team prayed for him. I went over to talk to him afterwards, and he, he said he was just he was completely healed. So that was the report they brought. So I wanted to I wanted to find out more about his story. So as I was interviewing, just talking with him, he told me he says I've got all the movement back. He said all the pain is gone. Everything has been healed. And I was curious about the muscle that was missing. And now it's his entire leg has atrophied. So I asked him, I said, how's the muscle? He said, I can feel my skin growing, stretching, stretching. He says, I can feel my skin stretching. So we got through with those two cities. And I flew home and I wanted to tell our family because I, I like to bring in the, the spoil, you know, because they help to in, uh, strengthen and pray for us and stuff as we go out. And uh, so I, I came home and I told them the stories of those five, now five people. And it was later, I believe it was later that week or possibly a week and a half later, I was in a, a prophetic gathering of about 15 or 20 people. And we were going to be ministering prophetically to this team of people that were becoming a part of Bethel. And uh, so we started praying for this lady. And she said, do you remember, in fact, it was two weeks. She, she said, do you remember two weeks ago, when you testified about the man with a broken leg? I said, yeah. She said, well, I had the same thing. I had the same thing. I broke my leg. The muscles had atrophied. I had limited movement, uh, pain, all of that. And she said, while you were talking, my leg turned hot and the skin began to stretch as muscles were forming in that leg. And there was that creative miracle. And the Lord completely healed and restored her. Listen to me. While I was talking, Some things just need to be said. Oftentimes, there is a, a restriction of what is released over the people of God, heaven waiting in a sense for something to be spoken. I was in a, a meeting. I'm giving you mostly just testimonies and stories tonight for a reason. We'll, I promise you we'll open the Bible before I'm done even though I've already quoted it. Um, I was in this uh, meeting, and this gal came to me. In fact, I mentioned it sometime this week, this month. I think I've been here a month now. <laughs> a good month, a good month, but a, a month. Yeah. The Lord's healing somebody, even right now, on the inside of your knee, there's a muscle strain right here. It's not a joint issue. It's actually... It's actually in the uh, muscle strain on the inside of the knee. And if I were you, I'd just start moving around and see what's happening. So, um, so I, was, I was in this, when the meeting was over, this gal came up to me and she, she, her first words, she walks up to me, she goes, the voice has stopped. 
I went, okay, what do you mean? Tell, you know, explain to me what's going on. She said, I've had bipolar for, I don't forget how many years. And, she's, and her issue was there was constantly voices and it was uh, obviously a tormenting thing for her. She said, the voices stopped, what do I do? And so the father then uh, walked up moments later and he's a retired surgeon and he said, what do I do? What, what do we do now that this has happened? And so um, I talked them through the situation, asked them questions and give them some advice and that sort of thing. And, uh, and so uh, they, they, they left and it was like two weeks later, the father actually came, it's about a four, maybe four and a half hour trip from where we were for that meeting up to Redding, where I live in. Northern California. And he was there on a Sunday morning. When the meeting was over, I liked to go to the back and shake hands and talk to people. And, and I was back there, and he just walks up. I didn't recognize him, but he just walks up to me, and he says, I have my daughter back. And the Lord had, uh, had healed her of bipolar during worship. Now, I've seen, we've counted close to 60 cases, actually quick counting about 10 years ago, but close to, uh, they still get healed. But uh, close to 60 cases, 56 to 60, I forget the number now, of cases that were healed. And all but four of them were healed either during worship or during a, a testimony being given. Only four that I, that I knew of were actually pray, healed when they were prayed for. Isn't that unusual? That there would be that kind of a miracle that would take place over and over again simply because something was said or something was sung. So during worship, the voices stopped and she was just restored in her mind. And so I shared on a Sunday morning, once again, uh, at home, I, I, I told the people, I said, listen, we had this great miracle um, during worship at this uh, conference in uh, Turlock, a young lady sitting up in the balcony. Um, the, the torment of bipolar was lifted off of her. She was completely healed in just a moment during worship. And the father has a medical doctor came to me and verified the miracle that they've experienced. And, and of course, the people just celebrated. And right over to my, <clears throat> to my left, unknown to me, to my left were two adult men that had uh, really battled uh, bipolar for over 20 years each. <clears throat> and both of them were healed when I gave the testimony. It was, it was in... <clears throat> It was in the decree. All I'm trying to do with you right now, I'm giving you one concept that you can uh, treasure and work with. And that is our treasure house, uh, God's economy of resource is transferred through declaration. <laughs> I'm going to say something might be a little offensive here, so give me a moment. But one of the things, tragic things that we've seen in history is that God can use a person who has horrible sin in his life to pray for the sick and see them get healed. It's offensive to us because we don't understand how much he values his word. He honors his word. A miracle is not his mark of approval on a person. It's his mark of approval on his word. Some things just need to be spoken. And I don't mean in any way or suggest that we would try to manipulate God through what we decree. But every one of us have been designed to hear from the Lord. There is by design a seamless connection between your heart and the heart of God. And it is your nature to hear his voice. 
Can we get it wrong? Oh boy, can we ever. But that's a part of the journey of learning how to get it right. If you're not willing to fail, you probably won't succeed. I'm not, obviously, I'm not talking moral failure or any of those things. I'm talking about just the effort to represent him well. And sometimes I overstate things. Sometimes I don't say all that he's saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm in this relational journey where I'm learning the, to be aware of the heart of God, to be aware, can I say, of his mood. To cooperate with him. What? What's, what's the boundaries that are given to us, the, the, uh, the instructions that are given to us concerning our relationship with the Holy Spirit? The two primary commands for me is grieve not the Holy Spirit and quench not the Holy Spirit. Those are, those are two guardrails that keep me in the straight and narrow. Don't grieve him, don't quench him. Grieve is what we do through uh, wrong activity, sin. Uh, we grieve him with wrong attitudes, wrong values, wrong intentions. Quenching is when you stop the flow of something. Grieving is character-centered. Quenching is power-centered. We stand on two legs, character and power. And you want them both the same length. And this will sound offensive too, but there's, well, that's a brand new experience for me. <laughs> Saying anything that could be misunderstood, I've, People, I hear people say, well, uh, we're going to emphasize character above power. I go, well, I understand the intention. All of us are nauseated by people who live immoral lifestyles and pretend to walk with Jesus. It's nauseating. <laughs> but what's more important, to not grieve the Holy Spirit or to not quench the Holy Spirit? It was an excellent point, Bill. It's an excellent, excellent point. The, the point I'm trying to make is not to lower our standards for character, is to realize that we actually have to have matching power. We actually are obligated. Without power, this gospel is not good news. I don't mean to, we need to have a, this need to be entertained by miracles. It's not that at all. I owe him. I owe him. I live indebted to the one who put the spirit who raised him from the dead inside of me so that that spirit in me and through me would demonstrate who Jesus is. I'm, I'm indebted. I have an obligation. I may never do it well. I may stink at it my whole life. I just don't have the luxury of changing the assignment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have people planted throughout the room to help me throughout the, <laughs> throughout the evening. The wealth that you have access to in Christ, and now I'm not talking money, it can affect that, but that's not my, that's not my point. 
The wealth that we have in Christ is far greater than Elon Musk, Bill Gates, all the other amazing people that have accomplished so much. I, I admire these people. They've accomplished so much. They've provided so much employment for people in our country. I'm thankful for them. But what we have access to is a word that can change the life. We have access to a story that rewrites people's history. Re rewrites, uh, that, that sounds actually contradictory uh, to rewrite history, but it, it's true. In the Old Testament, the Lord shows up and announces to Abraham and Sarah that they're gonna have a child. And it says, Sarah laughs. And God says, you laugh. She said, no, I didn't. That's not, that's not smart. Don't, 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 don't argue. If, if, if he says you laughed, even if you don't think you did, you laughed. She said, no, I didn't. He went on, you know, by this time next year. When that story is recorded in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Sarah conceived and bore a son. I don't mean that God lied. It's just that when he wrote the story, he bypassed the story of her failure and jumped to the part of her repentance into faith. And he wrote the story that way. You have in your heart, the, the Bible says, uh, I, I, from this experience that I had so many years ago, I started reading and rereading, especially books like uh, books of, Book of Deuteronomy, uh, where Israel, they were instructed, keep the commandments of the Lord, keep the statutes of the Lord, keep the testimonies of the Lord. Well, we know what it is to keep a commandment. You just do what he says. But how do you keep a testimony? See, what happened in Mark 8, the Sunday morning message where Jesus had multiplied food and the disciples were now afraid of not having enough food for lunch. What happened in that story is the miracle of the multiplying of food was supposed to become the lenses through which they saw their present problem. Are you with me? So we have these situations that come in up in life, and if we keep the testimony, we take what God has done, we do our best to record them or, or to quote them or to discuss them, to get information. We hold them so close to our heart that we actually see our present circumstances through God's history with man. Are you getting this? Is this making any sense? We actually are seeing our present situation through, you know, now because of the culture developed around testimony, which you guys are doing an amazing job with, I will actually have people come to me and they'll have some sort of a problem, a disease, and they'll say, all right, do you know of anyone who's ever been healed of this before? That's our starting place, because if we have a testimony, then a legal precedent has been set. It's just like a court. Courts, lawyers will go to past cases when a decision was decided similar to this one. Sets a legal precedent. 
And so they'll come up and they'll ask. I had a guy come up to me. He, uh, he was, a, uh, he was a, a carpenter and he had, he, he just had problems with his back because he had broken his leg as a kid and, and it, just, uh, it just didn't grow back all the way. And so it was, it was uh, a lot shorter than the other and it had messed up his spine, his hips, everything was just a mess. And, um, and so he came up and he asked the question. He says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. I, I'm, I mixed in another story, my apologies. He came and he said, my leg that was broken, when it healed, it grew past the other one. And he said, have you ever seen that done before, healed before? What is he asking? He said, is there a legal precedent? Now, there's many times people come and they say, have you seen this before? I say, I've never seen it, but it's got to be within his ability to do it, so let's go for it, you know? So we, we, got, we got to get testimony number one. So he, he's, he tells me, he says, my leg is, uh, it was considerably too long. And he said, have you ever seen a leg shrink? And uh, so I thought for a moment, thought and thought, and I went, yes, I have. I had a pastor friend that was in an accident, skiing accident, and when they put him back together, they had too many parts, and he had a leg that was too long. And, and, uh, and so we were talking in an Italian restaurant, and I said, hey, turn the chair aside. So he turned the chair aside, and I uh, held out his legs in the restaurant, you know, and commanded the long leg to shrink, and it shrank, and he went back to the therapist. Everything was fine. So I'm sitting there with this, this guy telling me a story. He says, you ever have seen this before? I said, yeah. I said, I have seen it. I said, sit down, let's sit down. So I hold his legs up, and I, I'm a little embarrassed by, by what I did. He's sitting there, and sure enough, he's got a leg that's considerably longer than the other. And I know he asked for it to shrink, but I just had this moment of mischievousness. <laughs> I'm not going to blame God for it. I'm just going to say, he probably went, oh, Bill, I'll... I'll cover you this time. You know, it was, it was probably it was probably one of those moments. So I'm holding his leg up, and I just I thought he wanted it to shrink, and I thought, you know, most people like to be taller. <laughs> so I, I, I spoke to the leg that was that was normal, had no issues, and I commanded it to grow, and it actually grew out even with the other one. And he stood up, he was completely healed, and of course we rejoiced and celebrated, and I, I went home going, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know, sometimes you do things, and it, it wasn't well thought out, you just said, ah, it's one of those moments, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I was inspired, but he covered me anyway. And we, we were up in Minnesota uh, right after that uh, again. Um, and, and a gal came up to me, she had a deaf ear, the deaf ear opened, and she had cancer when she was, I forget now how many, uh, like seven years early, she had cancer in uh, one of the bones of her leg, and they had to remove it, and they put in a metal uh, bone. And they, because she was uh, 15, when this happened, she's now in her 20s, when she, because she was 15, they actually made it longer than the other because she, they knew she would grow into it. She didn't grow anymore. So now she's got this metal leg, you know, this metal part that's longer than the other, and, uh, and she, um, uh, she's having issues because the leg is too long. And so she said, uh, <clears throat> can, you, can you pray for that? And so it's, it's, it's longer than the other one. And I had a, a flashback moment. 
where, you know, sometimes you just do something and afterwards you realize it was genius, but it wasn't your genius. Yeah, that was this moment for me. So I, I remembered the last time of praying for the, the long, the short, you know. And, uh, and so I, I, I looked at her leg, the metal leg, and I commanded it to shrink, and it shrunk. I, I didn't try to grow the other one this time. I, I just commanded it, it shrunk. And she stood up. She came to me the next day. She said, I'm so glad you shrunk this one. Now, listen to this. This is how you stumble into a God thing. She said, I'm so glad you, you, you shrank the metal leg instead of grew out the other leg. She said, because otherwise the doctors would say, see, we told you, you'd grow into it. Now, primarily what I've done, obviously, for the last, uh, well, since I started, is just talking to you about stories. And your story is significant. The Apostle Paul, whenever he was in a, I don't want to say a crisis moment, but whenever he was in one of those moments, he'd return to his story. He'd give his testimony. And the Bible does say that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. That's the legal basis. And the word of our testimony is the working out, is the decreeing, the speaking of what God has imparted to us. And these stories that we heard and saw on screen tonight are just incredible, but every one of them are actually your story. That's the point. It's your inheritance. So we overcome by the word of our testimony, and my testimony is your experience. What you've experienced, the breakthroughs that you have seen, the stories that we saw last night of muscle being uh, recreated, the, the deaf ears that have opened, uh, what was an 80-year-old woman who has been deaf for one year her entire life, 80 years old, it just opens. A friend of mine, Mahesh Shabda, prayed for a gal in her 80s. She's been blind her entire life and God opened her eyes. Can you imagine living 80-plus years and never seeing anything and then God and your final years of life opens your eyes. It's just the absolute mercy and grace of the Lord. These stories belong to us. And the commandment of Scripture is to keep the commandments, do what he says, but also keep the testimony. Hold it so close to you that it shapes your thinking. Hold it so close to you that it actually shapes how you view circumstances that you're facing. Here's a good one for you. Winky Prattney, in his book on revival, talks about Atlantic City. Atlantic City at one time was about 100,000 people many years ago. And everyone, if I have the numbers right, everyone in the city, except for four people, were born again. How about taking that testimony over your city? We're gonna, uh, I'm going to wrap this up with a portion of Scripture, and I do want to talk to you for a few minutes on it, and then we're going to uh, pray for people. But I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, to chapter 16. You know, all of God's works reveal his ways. <clears throat> Moses prayed this prayer. He said, he said, let me know your ways that I might know you. 
You know, follow me here. It says, Israel was acquainted with the works of God, but Moses was acquainted with his ways. Works reveal ways. When God healed the 80-year-old woman, deaf in one ear for her entire life and opened the ear, the miracle of healing revealed the heart of a compassionate father for this woman. The work revealed his nature, reveals his covenant, reveals his ways. It says that Israel was acquainted with the works of God, the acts of God, but Moses with his ways. It's, it's not good enough that I see what he does. I've got to know who did it. I've got to know who. I, I've got to know the one who was so kind to come down and use someone in this room who has known Jesus for one week to pray for somebody and have them get healed. He was so merciful in bringing them into a co-laboring role. He so celebrated their conversion that he used them to do something that some believers serve him for 50 years and never see it. See, it reveals his ways. And it's always been about discovering the nature of God. It's always been about discovering the heart of God, discovering the covenant that God made with us. I, I, don't, I don't ever become angry with people who seek a miracle instead of the face of God. You know, you don't see Jesus scolding blind Bartimaeus because he wanted to see. He didn't say to him, well, I'm not going to heal you because you don't want to see my face. You just want a miracle. Are you catching my sarcasm here? He's not punishing people because they want a miracle. But I do tell people, I said, listen, if you seek the hand and you find the hand and not the face, just look up. It's not that far away. Because the works reveal the nature of God, the face of God. All right, John 16, let's, uh, let's go through this somewhat quickly. I do want to get to, uh, to praying for people tonight. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. I want us to read verses 14 and 15 again. You've got to see this. Think, think while we're reading this, because this is, this is it's, first of all, it's stunning that Jesus is talking to a group of people that he's been with for a while now. They were in the final days of his three and a half years of ministry. And he says, I still have a lot I want to tell you, but I can't. Because what I would speak would create a reality over you that you don't have the weight-bearing ability to carry. Power and character is that 
It's that weight carrying capacity. You're not able to hold up under what I, what I desire for you. So I'm going to withhold it for a more perfect time. And then he says, verse 14, he says, he, referring to the Holy Spirit, will glorify me because he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, just picture this. Let's just say that this stage represents a, a, a bank vault, if you will, and it, everything that exists, if you will, is, is, is in this bank vault. And Jesus said, he says, everything's mine. It's all mine. The Holy Spirit is going to take what's mine and he's going to declare it to you. In other words, he's going to transfer resource through decree. In other words, I heard somebody say recently, in other words, <laughs> he's going to take the resource that the Father has given to his Son, which is everything. Remember, Jesus forfeited everything to become a man, never lost his divinity. But he forfeited everything, and then he re-inherited everything as our elder brother. As God, he already has everything. Do you get it? But he's, 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 taking, he's taking these people through, through his story, through his testimony. He has a testimony. And he says, the Holy Spirit, I'm sending him to you. He's going to take what's mine out of my account, and he's going to, I'll put it in my terms now, transfer to your account through decree, which basically says every time God's, God talks to you, he makes a deposit in your life. He's, he's resourcing you with the resource of Jesus himself. He's resourcing you. What belongs to Jesus belongs to you. This is what he said, verse 14 again. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine, declare it to you. Here it is, 15. All things the Father has are mine. How many of you know that's a lot? Every power, every dominion, every name, every realm, everything belongs to him. So he says, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Presence rides upon words from the Father. And I half-jokingly told you earlier, if you want to change the atmosphere of a restaurant, it wasn't joking, it was just approaching something lightly. Think about this. Go into a restaurant. You, you guys have here Andes. I, I don't know. It's a sign and a wonder. It's a sign and a wonder that there can be a line of cars that goes back forever in freezing weather to buy ice cream or frozen cash. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know how you guys did it, but somebody marketed that thing brilliantly. <laughs> I have eaten it several times since I've been here. It's, it was forced on me. It was, it was forced on me. I'm just trying to be kind to my hosts, you know. <laughs> the stories of what God is doing here is your resource 
And when you say what God is saying, heaven itself rests upon it and it's released into an environment, into an occasion, into a situation to bring change. That, you know, I hope you understand, this is not where we try to manipulate God, where we try to coerce him. You know, you can talk till you run out of breath and die and not have anything happen, except get exhausted. But when you tap into what the Father is saying, and that's what we were designed for, is to hear what the Father is saying, and in that moment say what he's saying. Things change. One of our friends, I'll end with this, uh, Chris Valton, one, uh, one of my favorite stories of, uh, of Chris is he was sitting across the uh, table from ha having a meal. He and his wife, Kathy, were having a meal with some good friends of ours. And they had been married for, I don't know, I think 16 years, something like that. They were, wanted to have children. They never could. It was, it was actually impossible for them to have children. They finally found out. And the Lord spoke to Chris and said, tell them they'll have a child by this time next year. Well, that <laughs> tends to make one nervous. <laughs> you know, you know how, how about if I go to my prayer closet and pray for that to happen, right? You know? and, and he's really sweating bullets, you know, uh, uh, getting to the place where he would be willing to say that. And, and he said, Lord, he said, That's, I, I can't do that. And the Lord spoke to him and said, if you don't say it, it won't happen. And there are things that won't happen without your decree. They, they won't happen just because you wish for it. They won't happen even just because you prayed for it. Because again, what we talked about last night, sometimes God would rather do something through you than for you. Sometimes we pray as our escape from responsibility. So, yeah, it's the truth. Sometimes we pray as an escape from our responsibility because then the absence of an answer I can blame on the sovereignty of God. Not you, but it's them other folks. <laughs> so he did. He leaned over the table. He said, by this time next year, you'll have a child. And they did. Within the next year, they had a child. It was impossible. I should probably add this. When you get it wrong, don't quit. Clean up your mess and try again. This may sound strange to you, but in our school of ministry, our students are actually required to get it wrong. If they don't fail at least three times in the first year, we won't let them in the third, second year. Why? If you're not willing to take risk to the point where you get it wrong, you probably won't get it right in the way you need to. But secondly, we want you to get it wrong in a loving environment so you know how to clean up your mess. Is that right? That's right. I, I told the truth. All right. All right. <laughs> I love you too. Thanks. All right. I hope that made sense to you. Um, can I give you one more example? I'm going to anyway, but it'd be nice if you cooperated. <laughs> Apple computers. I... I have jokingly once said I have Apple everything. 
except for underwear. <laughs> and somebody had underwear <laughs> made for it. It was called eyewear. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> There's two basic parts of that organization or that company, as there is with uh, most every other um, tech company or automobile company, whatever. They have their uh, manufacturing part of their business, and then they have research and development. In manufacturing, you have a core value of zero defects. You don't want to release, you know, a million iPhones that you have to recall and fix. So you have this goal of having zero defects. You don't want, any, you don't want to create any problems whatsoever. But in research and development, you actually, you have a completely different set of values. In research and development, you actually have to find out what doesn't work. If you get everything right the first time you try, then you're not exploring enough. You're not experimenting enough. Some of the greatest inventions that have been made, whether it's technology or mechanical or otherwise, have been because people stepped outside of what was expected and they experimented. In the kingdom, character is our manufacturing, zero defects. But when it comes to ministry, we need to have a research and development mindset that says, I'm willing to experiment in a safe environment. If something doesn't work, I'm not going to say, you didn't have faith, I'm not gonna blame you, I'm gonna take the responsibility myself. And let's learn to live accountable and see what God will do if we take risks. 